Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. So let's look at the uh, dad joke for today as we get started. My cat was just sick on the carpet. I don't think it's feline well. Feline, it's pretty bad. Mm. Okay. How about we just move on into Jeremiah today? Father, thank you for this morning, and we do come before you asking you would teach us and show us in your word especially when it comes to the prophetic on how these things we might be able to apply to the situations we see going on today. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 50. All right. Prophecy against Babylon. The word which the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet. Declare and proclaim among the nations. Proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. For a nation has come up against her out of the north. It will make her land an object of horror, and there will be no inhabitant in it. Both man and beast have wandered off. They have gone away. In those days, and at that time, declares the Lord, the sons of Israel will come, both they and the sons of Judah as well. They will go along weeping as they go, and it will be the Lord their God they will seek. They will ask for the way to Zion, turning their faces to its direction. They will come that they may join themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. All who came upon them have devoured them and their adversaries have said, we are not guilty in so much as they have sinned against the Lord who is the habitation of righteousness. Even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Verse 8, wander away from the midst of Babylon and go forth from the land of the Chaldeans. Be also like male goats at the head of the flock. For behold, I am going to arouse and bring up against Babylon a horde of a great nation from the land of the north, and they will draw up their battle lines against her. For there she will be taken captive. Their arrows will be like an expert warrior who does not return empty-handed. Verse 10, Chaldea will become plunder. All who plunder her will have enough, declares the Lord, because you are glad Because you are jubilant, O you who pillage my heritage. Because you skip about like a thrashing heifer and neigh like stallions. Your mother will be greatly ashamed. She who gave you birth will be humiliated. Behold, she will be least of the nations, a wilderness, a parched land in a desert. Because of the indignation of the Lord, she will not be inhabited, but she will be completely desolate. Everyone who passes by Babylon will be horrified and will hiss because of all her wounds. Draw up your battle lines against Babylon on every side. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her. 
do not be sparing with your arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Raise up your battle cry against her on every side. She has given herself up. Her pillars have fallen. Her walls have been torn down. For this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. As she has done to others, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, the one who wields the sickle at the time of the harvest. For before the sword of the oppressor, they will each turn back to his own people. They will each flee to his own land. Israel is a scattered flock. The lions have driven them away. The first one who devoured him was the king of Assyria, and the last one who has broken his bones is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm going to punish the king of Babylon and his land, just as I punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back to his pasture, and he will graze on Carmel and Bashan, and behold, his desire will be satisfied in the hill country of Gilead. In those days, and at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for the iniquity of Israel, but there will be none. For the sins of Judah, but they will not be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant against the land of Merathiam. Go up against it and against the inhabitants of Pekod. Slay and utterly destroy them, declares the Lord, and do according to all that I have done, that I have commanded you. The noise of battle is in the land, and a great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut off and broken. How Babylon has become an object of horror among the nations. I set a snare for you, and you were also caught, O Babylon, while you yourself were not aware. You have been found and also seized, because you have engaged in conflict With the Lord, the Lord has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For it is a work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come to her from the farthest border. Open up her barns, pile her up like heaps, and utterly destroy her. Let nothing be left of her. Put all her young bulls to the sword. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe be upon them, for their day has come the time of their punishment, there is a sound of fugitives and refugees from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, encamp against her on every side. Let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all she has done, so do to her. For she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel, Therefore, her young men will fall in her streets, and all her men of war will be silenced in that day, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord, God of hosts, for your day has come, and the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, with no one to raise him up. I will set a fire to his cities, and it will devour all his environs. Verse 33 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the son of Israel, the sons of Israel are oppressed and the sons of Judah as well. And all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will vigorously plead their case so that he might bring rest to the earth. But turmoil to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord and against the inhabitants of Babylon. 
and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the oracle priests, and they will become fools. A sword against her mighty men, and they will be scattered. A sword against their horses, and against their chariots, and against all the foreigners who are in the midst of her, and they will become women. A sword against her treasures, and they will be plundered. A drought on her waters, and they will be dried up. For it is a land of idols, and they are mad over fearsome idols. Therefore, the desert creatures will live there among the jackals. The ostriches also will live in it, and it will never be again inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord, no man will live there, nor will any son of man reside in it. Behold, a people is coming from the north, a great nation, and many kings will be aroused from the remote part of the earth. They seize their bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses. Marshaled like a man for a battle against you, O daughter of Babylon, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his hand hangs limp. Distress has gripped him, agony like a woman in childbirth. Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thicket of the Jordan to a perennially watered pasture, for in an instant I will make them run away from it, and whoever is chosen I will appoint over it. For who is like me, and who will summon me into court, and who then is the shepherd who can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan of the Lord which he has planned against Babylon, and his purposes for which he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely they will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pasture desolate because of them. 46. At the shout, Babylon has been seized, the earth is shaken, and an outcry is heard among the nations. Wow. Well, if you don't get anything out of all that right now, you certainly get the idea that that God is serious <laughs> about what he's doing uh, and is on his judgment against those who will rebel against him. So we need to kind of take this, like I say, we always want to apply it to what's going on today. These nations that have come against Israel, these nations that are continuing to come against Israel, there is debate to some degree if if God is uh, using them for any particular purpose. I, I tend to think it's just the result of the, the evil of the world that is raging against anything of God. Uh, the Jews have always been persecuted, not because they're any worse than any other nation but simply because of the fact that they were the one nation that said, we will try and be better, and we will try and follow God. And so Babylon is severely judged for them coming in and attacking Israel and trying and destroying Israel, taking them off captive, even though God used them, even though God set it up for them to do it. We see God's permissive will in so many things. God allowed Babylon to do what they wanted to do. And so in that sense, they were his chosen vessel for the, the correction and the discipline of Israel. God allows these radical Muslim jihadis to attack Israel for his own purposes. But it's very clear in the Bible that they will be judged for this. This is the lesson we get from this. And Babylon today is still desolate, although Ahmadinejad was trying to rebuild it when he was in charge there, uh, when he was the president, whatever, the king in that land. Uh, 
And it, there is still part of the old Babylon that they rebuilt the gates and they rebuilt part of it. And they're trying to, now they're going to make it into a theme park. Believe it or not. Anyway, um, I don't know where they are on their progress on that, but uh, it hasn't been inhabited since this. God is a, is, keeps his word. Now, will it be inhabited? Will this be, will it be economic Babylon? Will it, will it physically be the Babylon of old where the Antichrist uh, takes up his, his throne uh, over the earth? It sure could be. Don't rule it out. Don't rule it out. And that's why some people say it's still being rebuilt today. It's um, amazing. But God holds those accountable who uh, come against his, uh, shall we say, anointed. And, of course, this is going to apply to the church as well in the end times. Hebrews chapter 6, the peril of falling away. Therefore, leave the elementary teachings about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith towards God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it has been tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. Verse 9. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could not swear by one greater himself, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply you. Verse 15, and so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor to our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is um, a great, great encouragement. If you're ever doubting your salvation, getting caught up in someone in your family or some, for some reason, reading, finding something on the internet that says that there has to be a 
system and a religious procedure in order to be approved by God and be forgiven and, um, and accepted and saved, essentially. Remember, these Jewish Christians, they're seeing the sacrifice go on every day. They smell it. They, they can smell the aroma uh, if those there in Jerusalem, of course, uh, or and when they had traveled back, these Hebrews, wherever they were, had traveled back and perhaps partaken in Passover. They they are there, and they're thinking, "Well, wait a minute. I'm Jewish. I'm supposed to be here sacrificing these animals, and and I know I accepted Jesus. I know that I accepted him because I believe that he died on the crossroads again. But is there more?" I mean, I'm Jewish, and here's the temple, and they're still sacrificing. Shouldn't I do that? Shouldn't I be doing that as a Jew? And maybe that's really what God wants. Maybe that's part of my salvation experience, part of my duty to God or whatever it is. And Paul, writer of Hebrews, um, is saying, look, let's, let's not start over with the elementary principles of, of the whole concept of the Messiah he lays down this groundwork that the Messiah had come as the high priest to intercede for us and also as the lamb and to make atonement for us so that we could then enter into the veil in the Holy of Holies like he has. This is, this is the highest calling of any person's life. The, the total sum of one Hebrew's life would be to able, be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And then only males, and now Paul's including male and female, we can all go into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because we have trusted in Christ. Now, this is important to set this up because this is the most hotly debated chapter of your um, Arminian's kind of position that maybe we can lose our salvation because he's saying, if anyone has tasted of this and you made the decision, Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I know that, but then you go back and I go, but, you know, I've been reading all this stuff that we need to um, go back to Judaism and, and read a Hebrew Bible and uh, do the festivals, or I've got to go to church on Saturday, and I've got to keep, keep the dietary laws, and I've got to do all this stuff. Uh, then he's saying, if you've gone back to a system that is adding to the work of Christ, then essentially, <laughs> here's where it gets tricky, He's saying, then you, you've put Jesus to shame, the message of the cross, which, again, God says, God cannot lie. God says, by this, I am bringing my salvation to the world. I am testifying by myself that this is my son, and I'm giving him to the world. And, and for your salvation, and there is no other way to me but through my son and his death on the cross. And he's saying, if, if God who's sworn it, God who set it up, God who brought it and Jesus manifests as the second part of the Trinity, said this, did this, and you accepted it, for you now to reject that and try and go back under another system of the law, he says, then you've denied everything and there's no longer uh, any means for your salvation or to be renewed again to, to salvation. Now, get this. This is hypothetical. This is what people miss. The author is not saying if you go back, you're going to lose your salvation. I don't believe that. What he's setting up is a hypothetical that if you were able, and again, people differ on this. You can differ on this with me for sure. But if you were able to do this, you've left yourself in a quandary. You've left yourself with no way back to the Lord because under the law, you realized it wasn't sufficient 
to ever, ever merit salvation. And under Christ, you realize that you were going to deny his teaching that he was sufficient for your salvation. So you know, one's not sufficient, the other one's not sufficient. You've decided both are not sufficient. You've left yourself with no way back to the Father, is my take on what he's saying here. Because, why do I say this? And you guys agree with me, I know on this. What is the only sin that will keep you out of heaven? There's only one, right? Okay, and we, we can get technical and say it's, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But if we want to get develop all that, we really boil it all down. You deny Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are not my Lord. You're not my Savior. You did not die on the cross for my sin. You either didn't believe he died on the cross, or you will not apply the blood to your life. You just go, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. From all the teachings in the Bible, we understand that is the only thing that will keep you out of heaven. So if now this one writer of Hebrews says, oh, but there's one other thing. If you decide after you accepted Jesus as Lord, you then decide that I want to add to that my works. Now you're not saved anymore. And, and you see, she said, having once tasted, now you can argue that once tasted was tasted and not fully embraced and not fully saved. I could be, I can go with that one. At that, if you were never saved, and but again, the whole thing is impossible to be saved. It's never impossible. It's never impossible to be saved according to the blood of Christ if you cry out to Him. So this is why I say it's, it's a hypothetical. He's just trying to contrast law and grace and getting these Jewish Christians to realize, hey, I can relax in my salvation. I know I don't need the animal sacrifice anymore. I don't have to do all the ritual. I can rest in that. So he's setting up this dichotomy and this great um, mental exercise for them to see that they can rest in Jesus as as their Sabbath rest. And this is going to get into another, it's a phenomenal study. Sorry, I went long on that, but I thought it was needful. Uh, Charles Spurgeon now, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118, 17, a fair assurance, this, it was no doubt based upon a promise inwardly whispered in the psalmist's heart, which he seized upon and enjoyed. Is my case like that of David? Am I depressed because the enemy affronts me? Are there multitudes against me, a few on my side? Does unbelief bid me lie down and die in despair? A defeated, dishonored man? Do my enemies begin to dig my grave? What then? Shall I yield to the whisper of fear and give up the battle? And with it, give up all hope? Far from it. There is life in me yet. I shall not die. Vigor will return and remove my weakness. I shall live. The Lord lives. I shall live also. My mouth shall again be opened. I shall declare the works of Jehovah. Yes, I shall speak of the present trouble as another instance of the wonder-working faithfulness and love of the Lord my God. Those who would gladly measure me for my coffin had better wait a bit. For the Lord hath chastened me sore, but hath not given me over unto death. Glory be to his name forever. I am immortal till my work is done. Till the Lord wills it, no vault can close me up. Man, I appreciate Charles Spurgeon's way of, of encouraging us in our faith and never giving up. I want to be applying that to our, to our brother Dean, who has just had so many things happen one after the other, and then he... His, his health just totally goes south, and um, hopefully he's going to be released from the hospital today if that blood clot got broken up. But uh, that's, that's 
your devotion to, today, Dean. That's amazing. For all of us going through some really difficult times, let us thank him that until our time is done and he calls us home, that uh, the enemy cannot assail us. We're the king's kids. Let's pray. Father, do we praise you for this morning and giving us this time we have together and uh, our joyful God and the God of our salvation. We're joyful that you have allowed us, God, by your grace and by your blood to be called not only your friends but fellow heirs. We are also part of the priesthood, and we have you as our great high priest who intercedes and continues to intercede for us even with our mistakes and our failures and our faults. You protect us. You watch over us. You allow us to continue until you decide it's time to come home. We thank you for the blessing we have of being a part of the fellowship of believers and the beautiful things that you're doing in and through us. So God, continue that work. And in that, help us to to be encouraging one another in these times, especially with so many difficult and trying things going on in the world. There is an overwhelming amount of despair. And if it's not something in the infectious disease area, it's a war. And if it's not a war, it's, it's political, shall I say, shenanigry, um, all kinds of, of unfair, unethical things going on. And then locally, God, we have within our churches, we have so many different opinions on how we should be continuing to stand up in this world and, and what we're allowing to the church. We want you, God, to just continue to, to guide and bless and to help us, God. Keep our hearts merry. Keep our hearts happy as we thank you for the work that you're doing all over the place. People are becoming saved. We have no idea how many people in, in Israel and Palestine in these areas are coming to know you through this war. So we ask for your work of grace continue on in and through all those people there and that you would help release the hostages. Thank you for the... This young woman that was released, uh, or that was rescued, I should say. I pray that God that you would fortify those soldiers, the special units, special forces that are able to go into those tunnels and rescue those people. And again, your hand upon Acapulco as they are, are getting their power back on. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you, guys. We do have, um, should have prayed for it, the... Um, Hallelujah night tonight, 6.30. If I remember, I'll do a live feed. I'll just put it on for a few minutes to let you see what we're doing. They've been working really, really hard uh, decorating the church, making all kinds of fun games, so we'll see if we can get that on. And we're just praying that families would come along with the kids and that we might be able to um, present the light in the midst of the darkness. This is a day of darkness on so many places, and... Um, it is the best time to shine forth brightly. So thank you for that. We will see you guys again tomorrow. God bless you all. Bye-bye.